Welcome to the ICN podcast and a series we're calling Everyday Mystics. Some may think that a mystic is someone who lives in a cave, in the clouds, or in a cloister. But in truth, being a mystic is not something that takes us out of living in the world, but more deeply into and through the regular circumstances of everyday life. These are stories of those who are living their embodied mysticism integrated into life as usual, but far from ordinary. Today, I'm here with Annette Hulefeld. Annette, good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for asking me, Luke. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. And we always begin the conversation with just kind of diving right in and saying, okay, do you consider yourself a mystic? Why or why not? Well, yes. You know, I didn't know what that word meant, but um, I, I am a mystic and... I, I honest to God feel that I came into the world remembering where I came from, never lost that connection. And even as a child, um, I had this connection to God and to the universe that I, I thought was very normal and very natural. I didn't understand why other people didn't see it like I did. And, um, but the journey for me with the mysticism is I was really a pretty disembodied mystic. Like even as a little girl, I I was very frail. I was very angelic. Um, I thought it was normal to see Mary showing up and singing to me. Or, you know, Jesus having a talk with me every night in the cottonwood tree in the back, in the back of the house. Um, but it's, and in all the experiences that I've had in my life were so extraordinary in many, many ways that there came a time where really the spirit itself said you have to learn how to be ordinary Mm. and you know because you can I mean I've had experiences singing in for example in the um, the great pyramid and you know being told by the guides that I awakened the spirits of the ancient people by doing that but I knew the voice was coming. God was channeling right through me. Um, And those are extraordinary experiences. And it's, yeah, talk about mystical. But I still was not, I never wanted to have a body. I thought, whoever thought of having a human being with a body. I mean, it's really kind of funny when you think of it. You know, well, what are you going to do? Be Casper the ghost or what, you know? <laughs> but I thought, you know, when I meet up with the person who has come up with the idea of the body, I am going to tell them a few things. <laughs> um, okay, okay you know, well. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm going to really give it to them, you know? <laughs> and all my life, but... I it it's interesting when you read about the mystics 
how much pain and suffering, particularly the women mystics, you know, Teresa of Avila, the Teresa of the Little Flower, um, Julian of Norwich. And I was sick all my life. I've not really known a day without pain. And nobody could ever find anything wrong. And there are a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But I now realize that I was repressing the power and the intense love and what I was being told by God. I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. I really am crying because I've always been directly informed. Now, I'm not foolish. I know this discernment. I get all of that. Sure. Um, and I dreamt, even as a, a young girl, I prayed that I would die by the time I was 21, like St. Teresa, the little flower. And But instead, I had a near-death experience with the birth of my first son. Hmm. And I went into a very dark night, I, what we call depression, because I interpreted that, that I wasn't good enough to go back home. Mm-hmm. Not the right interpretation. I get it. But I thought, how could my best buddy Jesus say to me, it's not your time. And that... The, I think some people wouldn't understand this, but I, the loss of that was like the loss of if, if your husband died and he was your best friend. And so the grief that set in my bones was, you know, it was interpreted as depression. And yes, that was there, but I couldn't the yearning to be home. I get it that on the psychological level, I was in a pretty bad situation. I understand that. I'm not denying any of that. But underneath the yearning to be with God was really beyond words. I I don't have words for it. Yeah, yeah. Stop here for a minute. Well, that, no, yeah, I'm there's so much roll, there. You know? Oh, good. <laughs> I want to. I want to go back because this is. There's so much there, and we'll, we'll we'll return to a lot of it. But I want to go back to that that initial open connection that you had as a child, and just you're giving little pictures of these. You would have these mystical experiences, and it was present for you. But you said you had to learn how to be ordinary. Was that from telling you know did you tell people and then stop or right? I, I think because I want to talk about this because I think a lot of people maybe can relate to that childhood openness, right? This connection. And then we all kind of learn how to quote unquote, be ordinary, right? (laughs) Or Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, as a little girl, um, I also used to go outside and I would be the conductor for the flowers because I could hear them singing Mm. and it was a great symphony. Oh, it was beautiful. And, you know, you don't tell your friends that <laughs> the flowers are singing to you and you're directing them. You know, it just doesn't quite work. Yeah. 
Plus the other thing, and this is an, this is something I've really struggled with. You know, I grew up very, very Catholic and that Catholic uh, schooling was rooted in suffering. Mm. And so, because I was sick all the time and our family had a lot of trauma, I was told that I must be very special to God because I suffered. And so the belief system inside of me was in order to be close to God, I had to be sick. And we had a lot of mental illness and suicide in our family. And I think also that kind of formed, you know, I never believed what people would say about what happened to people with suicide. But I also came to an understanding, it wasn't a correct understanding, that if I said any of these things, like I knew when people were going to die, I used to see dead people. I still talk to them. That's one of my gifts. But I thought, oh, if I say anything, they will institutionalize me. Mm. So I had some wisdom as a little girl even to keep my mouth shut given the background that I came from. And also I had, um, I loved my grandma and my grandma was very, very mentally ill. Although I still believe that deep under that mental illness was a flaming mystic. She used to sit by the window. She would dress up like she was a queen. She even wore a tiara. You know, if you're going to be a little off, do it with style. I just <laughs> thought it was great, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was the only one that, that, that loved her. I was always the child that was sent to anyone who was sick, mentally ill, even when I was eight, nine years old. I had an extraordinary understanding of the goodness and the godness of that person. Yeah. But I dared not say it. And I think primarily because of some of the things that we were taught yeah. in Catholic school. And again, that was the belief then. But it was very ascetic. It was very rooted in suffering. Yeah. yeah and you... don't have a body. I mean, they, you know, your body yeah. was sinful. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. We're going to come back to that. I want to, okay. I want to point out how the openness, right? You're talking about this, what what you can see, what you experience, and I, I think you had a profound capacity for that as a child, from what you're sharing and what we hear. And not all of us have that, and that's beautiful. I love that. And and yet, I think what you're describing in that repression, in that shutting down, in that almost gating, I, I hear that you were able to keep that openness, but you had to keep it hidden. You had to keep it secret, but it did affect you. In like yes. you said before, you had to repress that power. You had to you had to muffle that intense 
connection, that, that immediacy that, and, and that went into your body. So there's of course, right. This overlap here between how we see things psychologically, how we see things spiritually exactly. or mystically. Yeah, exactly. It felt like, um, you know, like they say, the schizophrenics cannot discern though. They do live in two different worlds. Okay. Mm-hmm. In many ways. And, and I was bright. I was well liked. Um, I, I did well, but I lived in two different worlds. Now, I don't see that it's two different worlds anymore. You know, it's just a seen world and an unseen world. And I was also a dreamer. And I still remember this dream that when I was a little girl, where I would wake up swinging on the moon And there were these paint cans flying in the sky and all these paintbrushes. And I would paint rainbows across the sky. Mm. And I remember saying to a therapist years and years later, I said, I just wanted to paint rainbows so that people would begin to believe how much they were loved by God. And I was told at the time that I just had a vivid imagination. No, that was so deep in me. So deep. All I wanted to do was to let people know they were loved because people were suffering so much. Yeah. Wow. And I want to ask, cause you, yeah. what I hear there is, is this desire to, to connect, to bring back yeah. that love, that knowledge, to bring it to people. Yeah. And yet I can see how as a 21 year old and you, you know, you're taking suffering as being here. There's these two worlds. We have this kind of dualistic thing and, and you felt like you had to choose, right. It had to be death. It had to be going into, exactly. but you, and so when you went through that and you, right, I, I, there was a, you started to describe the the fallout, your, your NDE, the yeah. depression that came from that. Tell me more, how did that unfold into uh, integrating or coming back to, okay, well, it's not going to be death. It's not going to be that total crossing of the veil. How have you learned to live both? You mentioned therapy, you mentioned um, you know, some ways that you're obviously still have this open connection. Um, so how has that unfolded? Well, that, you? You know, that's an interesting thing because um, at the time I was in an abusive relationship. So again, psychology would say, well, you wanted to die because of that. You know, there is some truth in that. But it was more that I, all I could see around me was suffering. So I had to do some very deep work. Uh, I had a breakdown myself, um, but I call it a breakthrough. Without that breakthrough, I don't know if I would have begun to go deeper into the mystical path. And again, I would have never used that word. But I became, uh, I mean, one of the reasons that I, the person that I lived with was abusive was that I was too 
focused on God. Um, but uh, what happened through the grace of God and the Spirit, um, and again, when this breakdown came, because I I didn't eat. I mean, I became very anorexic. Um, I I didn't care about my body and it wasn't that I didn't love my kids or anything else it was like get me out of this body I had migraines every day blah blah and all that kind of stuff but when um and I do believe the spirit sent Frank into my life he was a Jesuit priest and we worked together in the same parish and really was the first person that ever respected and saw me for who I am. He's a mystic himself. And I began to wake up. And when I, we were married in 1981, and then all of these mystical experiences through travel. I would have a dream. It would tell me where to go. And I followed those. I I believed in that. And Frank was totally supportive. In some ways, um, it's like living with Jesus. And I know that sounds pretty grandiose, but it is my experience and the relationship of what what heaven and earth, when they are united, our relationship is the embodiment of what I knew from heaven, and I don't like the word heaven, what I knew before I came into form and who I am in this world, mm-hmm. in a body. Yeah. Um and it's very profound for me. It's the kind of mysticism that I was, uh, I think I was called to be. This is the kind of mystic I was called to be on this earth. And um, it it really does overwhelm me sometime at the power of that. Um, and embodiment through a relationship that reflects what I've always remembered Hmm. and being here on the earth. But I went through, really, they were extraordinary mystical experiences. And again, like I said, at one time, and it was the Divine Mother who told me, I I went into shamanism. I I can't leave that out because what woke up my mysticism in many ways was entering the world of shamanism. And um, because it was home, it was like, oh, I knew knew this world, you know. Even the teachers that I had, you know, they take me right in and they say, you know this. And I, and they'd say, how do you know this? And I'd say, I'm sorry, it's just there. Um, and it was powerful and it was, but it was 
still disembodied. I could leave my body. I could. I saw miracles happen for people. Hmm. And then one day, the Divine Mother said, Annette, it's time for you to realize you are a divine human. You're not only a spirit. And so I entered another very dark night because I didn't want to give all that up. You know, that was the ego part of it. I wanted to remain and feel the ecstasy of being one with God. And I didn't want it in the ordinary world. And the ascetic part of it really appealed to me. And she said, no, you're going on a different journey. And I didn't go sweetly and gently and... um, And so that whole mystical quality, I had to begin to see in the smile of a child, in the laughter with an 11-year-old. I I have a little 11-year-old girl who's, I call her my best friend. She's so funny. But it's mystical, and we talk about the other world. She's only 11. And we talk about dreams. It's about taking a walk. It's about being human, but knowing there's a divine seed. And I know this is radical for many people, but I was told one time in a meditation that we are an atom of the divine wrapped in skin. And when that atom of God uh, develops in the womb and we come out, we're here to evolve God. That might seem radical, but it's like, what if we really believed that we've been so blessed that the divine says, will you take me into your being and let me experience what it means to be human? Hmm. That's the kind of mysticism that I've come to and the kind of embodiment that I've been led to, you know, other people might have a very different experience. But it really blows me away. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I studied for a while with Brian Swim, with the universe story, and... That also helped to um, develop 
what I began to know about mysticism. And, you know, Thomas Berry says the entire universe is inside of you. And I thought, oh, this is going to take me a little bit to to think about, okay. Um, but I get it now. That's beautiful, Annette. That I mean, you said it's radical, and it is radical in the most sort of pure sense of that word, right? Going to the root, going to being the body of God, to taking that yes. in. And I'm just so struck by your, you know, first coming to embodiment through relationship, right? Like yeah. Frank being Jesus to you, and then it coming to the divine mother, of course, it was the feminine, right? Bringing that mm-hmm. saying it's, it's in you, right? Uh, again, like you said, there's the ecstatic, the stepping out, that sounds like a lot of the first half of your life. And then right. it's the integration, right? Of bringing both of those together, exactly. of taking it in, of, of bringing it into that embodiment. That's beautiful. And the beauty of everyday life. I, I really... I didn't have a gratitude for life. I I had gratitude that God gave life, but I didn't really appreciate that I had been given life in order to really be more in love with God. Well, I had a heart, and the same thing with the body. You know, I laugh at myself when I think of some of my ideas and thoughts. (laughs) You know, if you don't have a body, you're a ghost. And I thought that was a great idea. Um, You know, and it doesn't hurt. You know, Um, that's why I went into shamanism. I swear to God, I'd do a journey, all my pain would go away. And then I'd come back into my body and feel crappy. And then I thought, "Mm, this is not quite the way it was intended. Yeah, it's not integrating. It's not bringing it in. Yeah, but I didn't want to give up that ecstatic. Yeah. And you, and so many things you could see miracles happening, and blah blah blah, and and it was wonderful. Yes, the ego was there, but it was way more than that. It really was that love of God yeah. that I had experienced, even as yeah. a child. Right, and you needed to find that God in your body. Yes, and I thought, I don't like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. There are better ways. Yeah. Our God, it would be different, you know. And I still laugh about it. I remember when I was four years old, shaking my fists at God and saying, I don't like it here. And if you want me to stay here, you better do something better than this. It's a vivid, vivid, vivid memory. Yeah, yeah. She and, heard you. You know, I'm like, did you did you see the movie? Um, oh, Soul. Yeah. The, the Pixar. Well, I'm the Tina Fey character that goes. <laughs> yeah, right. No. You want me to go down there? Are you crazy? <laughs> That's me. 
That's me. Yeah. I'm the Tina Fey one. Yeah, you got to be out of your mind. So Annette, how do you feel about your body now? Um, well, if I'm honest, I would still like the idea of not having one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was very interesting. The last two years, I, I was very ill and kept going in and out. We didn't know if I was going to stay here or go. But a being appeared to me and actually said, we know you're suffering in your body. And if you want to exit now, we will help you. But if you want to stay, we'll help you stay. And it was the first time, you know, I'm 79, where without hesitation I said, I'd like to stay. Hmm. Because I realized the body is the home of the divine. Hmm. And I began to pray very differently that I want the experience of the love and the care that I know from the divine in my body. I want that experience before I die. And it's not that I'm unhappy inside Luke. It isn't that at all. I don't have the the depression or I really don't yearn for God. It's I know that union, but I still, particularly when I had the trouble with my blood pressure, um, there is something in me, and I can giggle about it, it still would be a better idea <laughs> if we didn't have to have this body. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but that probably will be my struggle, you know? Yeah. And I'm very honest about it, and I giggle about it. And, um, but my integration, it may not sound integrated, but it's way better than what it was. And... I'm probably like this spoiled, rotten kid that says, I want everything. I don't want any pain. If I could have a body without pain, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> you know? But I really can still have a good sense of humor about it. Yeah. Yeah, and just, I mean living that and bringing that to the daily like I, all i hear is integration in your story and that right. um, so it, it doesn't because i want people yeah I, you know it's sort of like folks on the others you know when you get out of this body you will have no pain yeah. it's wonderful 
And I want everyone that is like that magical kid that goes, look at, look at the rainbows. Yeah. You are so loved. Can you receive it? That's been my, that integration um, had to come in me receiving. I could receive suffering. I could receive pain. You could throw anything at me and I would deal with it. Sometimes not so elegantly but to receive, to receive that kind of love in the body was like lunacy for me for a while. Hmm. And I look back like even my grandma, she wanted to receive love and her mind was too distorted to receive it. That's the same thing with all the the suicide. They only want to be loved. They don't know how to receive it. That's embodiment. Yeah, uh, that is. And and I I just, um, it's amazing. I, I think that imagery of painting rainbows and that's, that's what you're doing. That's what you've done. And of course the rainbow is the full spectrum, right? It's, it's the love and the pain. It's the suffering. It's the, it's the whole deal. And, um, and that's what you are bringing and what you've been integrating and living and sharing with us. And I just appreciate that so much. I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier how in your own story, uh, the, the mystical was, um, it couldn't be brought forth. It was, it had to be separated. And what, what we're trying to do with these conversations is to respect and honor and affirm mysticism. That's why we do this to see how it comes forth in our lives and, and hopefully bring those things together, like the full colors of the rainbow and like you have done. And I'm just curious, you, you started at the beginning and said, you know, yes, you consider yourself a mystic, but you didn't know what that word meant. And you've, it's, it's changed and, and developed over time. And what, what does that word mean to you now for who you are? For me now, it means that I have, um, that I know the oneness of the divine. And it's not difficult. It's just, it's my memory. I have a memory of that, and it's something that is with me at all times. I don't see separation. I don't even, even polarity. It's like I used to say I walk between the worlds. I don't say that anymore. I just, this world and the unseen world are the same. Yes, I know how to move through them but it's still one. And it's that some people call it consciousness. Um, But I really feel like I, my whole being swims 
and the consciousness of God. It's always there. Even like when I love the wind and that always feels like the Divine Mother is brushing my hair. I can't, I don't see it as the wind. I see it as the divine. Everything, a little child, that's the divine looking back at me. Even this conversation, there is an energy of the divine speaking through both of us. And I want to go back to something, and I can't believe that I forgot this, about the rainbows. The ending of that dream is significant as to what happens to a lot of us as children and adults. Because I realized in the dream, I realized that no one was looking at the rainbows and no one even cared that I was painting them. And I put the cover on all the paints, all the, the cans of paint. And that, to me, is crucial to my own story. And... I remember a therapist saying to me that that just showed that, you know, my narcissism, because if people didn't appreciate it, and it couldn't have been further than, from the truth. I was bereft as a child that what I wanted to give from God would not be received. I'm sorry for crying, but... Oh, please don't apologize. But I really... I have come to that. Yeah. I feel like God herself weeps because we've been given so much and we don't know how to receive it. Hmm. And it has an impact on our bodies. I don't think that I would have had as much pain as I've had all my life, had I known how to receive. Well, that's the, the invitation, the encouragement, the hope that, that you give in your story that others can keep painting, that they can feel it come forth. And, and keep giving it. it. Yeah. And keep giving it. And yeah. it is, I, I know what we say psychologically that, you shouldn't worry about it. You just give up. Well, that's not that's not the way the universe works. Yeah. Like Brian Swim said, in order for the tree to grow, it needs your appreciation. Why are we any different as human beings? Why do we have to pathologize? In order for the flowers to keep growing, we need to pay attention. It is a give and take. If we do not receive 
from the other world, it will have a profound effect on our life. Yeah. And and that thank you so much for your story, for your journey of of pain and suffering and love and joy and making those connections of bringing those. I, I, I feel like you said, the, the union is here. The energy is here. It's in this conversation. It's in your body. It's in my body. And yeah. in that way, I, and I don't say this just to be poetic, but it's like, you are the paint you've, you be, we become oh. the rainbow and we're living it and you're living it and you've shared it with all of us today. And I can't thank you enough. My heart is full of gratitude and uh, thank you so much, Annette. Well, thank you for, as you know, I told you I was, I'm always afraid I write, but I, I'm always afraid to speak in public. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but if some people can receive the paint, and know you are loved. That's what it's all about. <laughs>